Hey, Fidelity. What's it cost to invest with the Fidelity app? Start with as little as $1 with no account fees or trade commissions on U.S. stocks and ETFs. Hmm, that's music to my ears. I can only talk. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Zero account fees apply to retail brokerage accounts only. Zero dollar commission applies to online U.S. equity trades and ETFs and retail Fidelity accounts. Sell order assessment fee not included. Some account types and securities excluded. Details at Fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Hey, parents. Welcome back to the Project Parenthood podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nanika Kaur, clinical psychologist and respectful parenting therapist. Each week, I'll introduce you to the same respectful parenting practices that I use to help parents repair and deepen connections with their children. You'll get tips for cultivating more parental self-compassion, more cooperation from your kids, and more joy, peace, and resilience in your relationship with them. I'm so excited to share today's episode with you. In this episode, I'm talking to Karen Daly, a therapist using mindfulness and the body in her work with clients. You're going to hear about how being aware of your body's response to what goes on in your internal and external environments can be helpful to your own self-regulation. You don't want to miss Karen's strategies for putting on your emotional breaks when things begin to feel overwhelming, so stick around until the end. Part of practicing respectful parenting is the ongoing journey of building your capacity to access your reserves of inner calm in the face of your child's big emotions their behaviors that irritate you, and your own involuntary emotional reactions. One of the most common requests I get from new clients is to tell them how to get their parent rage to go from a 9.5 on the severity scale down to a 2 during moments of family conflict. The first thing I usually suggest is to get into the habit of attuning to your own body. Does your body feel one way when you're happy? And one way when you're angry or when you're in the presence of someone else's anger? What about sadness? Your own, your partner's, or your child's? What sensation happens in your body all by itself? Surprisingly, learning to tune into your body's reactions in the moment can help you begin to understand your emotions, which in turn helps you modulate them when it's necessary to do so. To help us understand how this mind-body connection can be helpful to parents, I talked to Hakomi therapist Karen Daly, who uses mindfulness and awareness of the body in her work with clients. Karen's private practice in Northern California is called Many Rivers Healing. She is a licensed marriage and family clinician and is also in the process of becoming a certified Hakomi practitioner while also enrolled in the Hakomi Teacher in Training program. Karen co-developed the Resilience Clinic at UCSF Benioff Children's Hospital's Primary Care Clinic, specializing in bringing caregivers and their children into a weekly circle that fostered deeper relationships and communication between them. The focus included neuroscience, mindfulness, crafting, outdoor experiences, and nutritious snacks. 
in addition to learning about how each of these experiences can be resources for the nervous system. Karen is a parent of an almost 25-year-old, and her loves, besides her wonderful daughter, are her plant and book babies, which she tends to daily. Here's my chat with Karen. I'm so excited that you're here to talk with us, Ms. Karen Daly, about Hakomi and a little bit about how Hakomi therapy can be something that could be something that could be helpful to parents potentially. And so I wanted to sort of give parents a little bit of a taste of what Hakomi is and maybe how it could be helpful. I think that's great. This, I am so excited to be here. Let me just tell you, because parenting my 25-year-old has been one of the greatest things that I feel like I've ever done and had the privilege of doing. And uh, was I perfect? Oh, heck no. So let's just kind of start off with a little bit about what Hakomi is, what kind of psychotherapy it is, and how it might be able to be helpful. It's a type of psychotherapy that privileges the somatic experience. So the body, what is actually happening for us in our bodies, as well as using mindfulness practices that can deepen, you know, really our ability to read ourselves, right? Because with the fast-paced work world, even the fast-paced social world, all of the things that are going on in the world, we're moving at a really fast pace, most of us. We're having to, right? And so this is a type of psychotherapy that, that says, let's slow down. Let's actually take a read of what's happening in our bodies. What is our state? How are we doing? in order to then figure out what kind of resource we need at any given time. You know, if this is a way that we can check in with ourselves, find out what is it that we need, Mm -hmm. how do you think that in particular can be a support to parents for, you know, the next generation that we're raising? Wonderful. Yes. So important for us to pay attention to. This next generation is really going to be tasked with doing so many things and needing to be so present for so much. So one of the things that I really appreciate about Uh, this particular way of doing psychotherapy is that it gets us in touch with what our current state is. And often we're so busy moving from one thing to the next thing with the kids, without the kids, planning, calendaring, working hard, attending to the family, that we forget to check in. How are we doing? And sometimes some parents might hear me say that and think, gosh, it's kind of a privilege to be able to do that. But I would push back and say that for all of us, that kind of attunement with what we need in any given moment is incredibly important. And what does that do, you might ask? It is imperative that when we're connecting to our children, connecting to our families, connecting to our partners, that we are mindful of what is happening internally. So if I have a storm brewing and then you say something to me quite innocently, I might leak that storm right over into all of my words. And we might create a kind of a rupture and think of your children with this too, that then has to be attended to. So if we can, right? So then if we can both learn our own self-regulation, notice it doesn't say self-calming or self-shutdown. It's just regulation. It's just figuring out what is it that I need right now. And then we teach that to our children so that they can begin to ask those questions. Then we've got the ability to really soothe our individual nervous systems and the nervous systems of our children, which is the key work that as parents we have to do. Absolutely. And I talk a lot on this podcast about Mm -hmm. nervous systems and 
regulation, self-regulation, and co-regulation. So I'm sure, listeners, you know exactly (laughs) what Karen Daly is talking about. (laughs) Wonderful. So um, I'm thinking about um, another thing in Hakomi. I, too, um, am training in Hakomi, and... And there's this talk of missing experiences. And, and I want to sort of explore with you, you know, what a missing experience is and common ones you might see, but also, also common ones that come up with parents specifically, those kinds of missing experiences and how that shows up in our parenting. What a great question. And the first thing that comes up for me is that there's a magical thing that can happen in therapy that we call the missing experience where an individual, and I mostly work with adults now, but I would say adults from, you know, 20 on up, um, where something, some sort of rupture might have happened relationally with their parents or within the family, that then while they are storytelling about their own experiences to me, there's a moment when I can offer something with permission within the therapy that ends up being this missing piece that they never had. So an example of that might be if there wasn't a nurturing parent for whatever reason, um, their own trauma history and evolution of trauma history, epigenetically, all of that. So the parent is kind of reserved or is just struggling with being able to be emotionally available so if someone's working with me, one of the things, and I'm no doubt this is exactly what's happening in your practice as well, is I'm going to bring that loving presence with me. It is part and parcel of who I am. And funnily enough, I didn't actually have an emotionally available mother, but somehow got this uh, from other family members. And so when I offer a contact statement, which is the way we just name what's happening um, in the room You can see a person's countenance just shift. They relax into something. Their shoulders go down. And there's a feeling that they have been met at a deep, deep level that they had not been met at before. And then we want to promote more of those, right? Then there there comes a time when the individual in therapy can actually name, can actually say, yeah, there's here are five missing experiences, things that I did not get that my soul needed, that my being needed, right? Not putting down the parent, just saying, this is where we were a mismatch, right? And then we seek to find uh, opportunities for that to flourish within therapy. Now, as a parent, You know, a kiddo may not have too many missing experiences during their young times. But what we do want to pay attention to, we want to be looking for how they're organized because our children are not necessarily organized the way we are. My kiddo came out the shoot and she is an extrovert extraordinaire. I, despite the fact that I'm talking right now, am an introvert. And so I resource internally and I nourish myself away from others. And she was constantly, mommy, 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 mommy. And then can we mommy, mommy, you, you get the idea. Mm-hmm. And so she's not organized in terms of the way she meets the world in the same way that I am. So what I had to do is I needed to attune myself. And this took time to recognize that she needed activities and my presence and my ability to um, play with her. All of this while I was single parenting. 
Mm-hmm. So I really had to step into this other space that was less comfortable for me in order to meet some of her social needs. And then I later taught her that mom's not quite wired the same way that you are. So let's get your friends to come over and let's figure out how to do that. Right. So that attunement as parents, that helps us track a potential missing experience that our children might be having. Right. And I'm also thinking about the ways in just like you were talking about before, not having had something yourself, right? Like yes. the parents' own missing experience, yes, exactly. right? And how that could come into play in terms of as they're parenting their child as well. Which means then that we as parents have to pay attention to that. We have to, uh, and it's beyond paying attention. I would want parents to really focus in on their own healing and hopefully that's through therapy, but there are many other ways to to do that. Just come into your own deep understanding of where your wounding is. I often say that none of us really, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I had a great childhood. Awesome. That's good for you. And there are some people who definitely did. But the majority of us, who escapes childhood without some little ouch here and an ouch there? And I think it's it's important for us to figure out what were those ouches, what were those injuries that happened, and how are we attending to them now, and how do we not pass the same thing on generationally, right? How do we stop that? Something about what you're saying, you're saying sort of identifying where our own injuries, our own wounds are, where those ouchy places are, and that sort of requires that that looking inward that you're talking about. And, and that's, you know, and that sort of takes us to this mindfulness place, right? This, yes. Let's just talk about sort of the difference between mindfulness and then just an ordinary state of mind. Wonderful. I'm going to borrow from John Kabat-Zinn here, who I think has one of the best definitions of mindfulness, which is to pay attention in the present moment without judgment. And I want to say that just one more time and really emphasize it without judgment. So it's paying attention in the present moment without judgment. So it's an opportunity for us to really examine um, what's happening to us in any given moment. So I might do that during a session. I might orchestrate that for someone else, really support them doing that. But as a client, it's an opportunity for me to just sit and focus on my breath and see what might arise in this next moment. Now, some of us kind of need to do it through movement. And I want to say that mindfulness can has many faces. So one that we might do in therapy might be uh, focusing in on the breath and just kind of tuning into the now. But depending on how we're wired and what experiences we've had and our trauma histories, some of us might need to do it through movement and through the sitting on a Peloton while we're at home and we're exercising or walking around the block, whatever it takes, it is coming into the present moment with you. And the difference with that in terms of Ordinary consciousness, I would say, is that ordinary consciousness, we could, hours could go by and we're doing what we're doing, driving the kids to school, showing up at the PTA, doing all those traditional things. And we have no idea where we are. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then suddenly remembering the example of the kiddo who, you know, we sent Miles off to school without his favorite part of the lunch. And the first thing in the door is Miles having a fit about how he didn't get what he wanted. And suddenly we're, as his parent, just hijacked in that moment because we have not stopped 
to even check in to see what we're needing. So our cup is empty, mm-hmm. right? Cup is empty. Um, so it's important. And what's really wonderful about what's really wonderful about a particular Hakomi session is that you can come to this awareness in many different ways, as I said, and we can take it outside the therapeutic uh, environment into our own lives. So it's very practical. Mm -hmm. And I like what you're saying about mindfulness doesn't always look the same way. It's not always sitting quietly in meditation. It can be Anything that really brings you into the present moment in a way where you're, as you're saying, not judging, right? That you're just noticing it happening without having a lot of interpretations of why it is happening. That's exactly right, because we can get really caught up in that. And one of the ways that I do that is I'm a plant mama, um, absolutely love my plants, as you know. And so when I go around and water them, I'm just looking at each and every bloom and leaf and the the way the soil looks. And somehow I'm just transported right inside myself. And I love that. So anything that brings you into the flow. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you can make choices, right? Because then we can resource ourselves. Right. So Mm -hmm. here's my next question, right? Is Mm -hmm. how can Mm -hmm. we use this mindfulness to a resource, as you're saying, and sort of maybe explaining a little bit what resourcing is. And then, you know, just in general, how can mindfulness be helpful in the day to day life of a parent? Wonderful. Yes. So resourcing um, is the fancy way of saying, what is it that you need? And how can you get it? And the resource could be many things. One of them could be, as we said, actually being mindful and being a witness to your own breath and how fast your heart is beating. But other resources in a, in a particular moment could be calling a friend to just speak on what's happening to you. Another resource could be grounding yourself in your environment, if it's an environment that feels really particularly soothing to you. Another resource could be making sure that you're sleeping, making sure enough, making sure that you stop and rest. I think that there's a wonderful clinician or and or just fabulous human being who promotes napping for us and the importance of just stopping and dropping and going in. Another resource can be what you fuel your body with. Um, so the list can go on. There are so many ways that we can resource ourselves. And then internally, it's again, whether movement or connecting with a friend on a particular day, all of these are resources that we have hopefully at our fingertips. And the reason for it is that when we're conversing with our children and we're handling all that they go through on a daily basis and really what the family unit goes through on a daily basis, no matter what your family unit is made up of. It's kind of difficult to be with another if we are so full ourselves. And so a resource is a way of kind of clearing the space, so to speak, so that more incoming can be met with loving kindness. I think that's the essence of what we're talking about. Right. And of course, it sounds really simple, doesn't it? Yeah. But it is a practice in and of itself. And I really want folks to know, you don't just start off doing this right away and bada bing, you got it. Mm-hmm. You have to intentionally just keep practicing it. And then it becomes a part of your being. Right. It becomes a part of what you do daily, hourly. 
I talk a lot about practicing, right? The, the idea of it's one thing to know about various parenting strategies, yes. right? But it's another thing to try to put something into action, to just practice it, even if you sort of muddle through and it doesn't really look like you think it's supposed to look or sound like you're, it's supposed to sound. It's just, but you're, you're just practicing. You're just sort of trying to figure out what your normal, everybody putting a parenting approach or a parenting tool into action doesn't necessarily look the same. You know, what does it look like for you? What does it sound like coming out of your mouth? And what does your particular kid need to hear? That's right. And really, you're talking about embodying the practice, right? So that it's really coming from you. And you're so right. It really depends on what your child needs to hear. And and I love that you use the word muddled. It's like, please, everyone listening, muddle away. Just keep muddling away. We're not on the road to perfection. And if we think we are, that's gonna, then we're on the wrong road. We're just on the road to relating. And this is a way of relating better to both ourselves and to our kiddos. Absolutely. And quite frankly, to our community as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It all ripples mm -hmm. out. All ripples out. This somatic awareness that we're talking about, the idea mm -hmm. that we can sort of be in a mindful way, look inward and sort of notice what is happening inside of our bodies, around us, what it, what's coming to in our minds, what thoughts are floating up, what images are floating up, like just what's happening internally for me, right? And I'm wondering... I find that as a parent, very, very helpful to when I'm feeling triggered or overwhelmed in some way to be able to notice, wow, my heart is beating really fast or like, why is my voice so loud? Or just like, <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> exactly. What is happening? <laughs> so, right. right. That's right. real. So, That's real talk. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering if you could just speak to that, just the, 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 sort of awareness of your soma and how yes. that is just helpful in in life, but especially also just for parenting and noticing when you're triggered, especially. Definitely. Well, because, you know, I think as human beings, right, we, if we're not noticing that, then we're, things are coming out sideways, right? And when they come out sideways, we're triggering other people, we're upsetting other people. We're not, we're not feeling too good with the aftermath of what happens. I grew up with a mother. I, again, I, I think she was, Mabel Daly was amazing and I loved her dearly. And she had good reason to be angry in life, particularly as a, a black woman in the sixties, um, finishing up her master's at that time. She was, and then raising me by herself for a while. And so she would get angry just kind of at the, you know, flip of a switch. So I grew up with that kind of coming at me. And then it has affected me, though I've morphed it into something different with my children, with my children. Apparently, I have several now, um, which is probably true just in terms of like the, the community of my daughter's friends. But what I notice is that then I could do that so easily. I could flip on a dime. I used to call it the flippant switch. And I recognized by the look on my child's face when she was very young, uh-oh, I had just crossed over into another plane of existence. And I can still remember her face. And from that moment on, she was probably about three, maybe even two. From that moment on, I worked tirelessly to get my self-regulation in check. I didn't know the words then. I just called it get my stuff together, um, getting myself together. And I worked on what are my triggers? What does put me in a foul place? What are the ingredients to that soup? And how do I 
steer clear of that as best I can, and then what to do when it just happens, right? And and it's taken, you know, a lifetime to do that. And that's the point. That's why we're here, right? To be better humans. But I give you that example because um, that's one of the reasons why it's so important to be clear and to understand our own our own somatic experience so that we are not passing that trauma onto our children and that we're engaged in dialogue with them, even from an early age, right? Participative parenting. Participative. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're a part of it. You're, you're That's an right. element of your child's environment, right? That's right. And the That's environment right. affects a child, right? Yes. Um, and all of us, all of us, all of us. All of us. And yes. um, I'm wondering about this. You used the term loving kindness earlier. And, and I know that in Hakomi, we use this term loving presence. And I, when I think about that, I think a lot about parenting. And, I, and, and I'm wondering, you know, if you could speak to that a little bit and, and tell our listeners a little bit about how loving presence it sort of naturally happens for a lot of people um, who are parents. And then sometimes it's something maybe we need to practice and work on a little bit. Yes. And let me just start off with not every new parent's experience of being a parent is filled with as much joy as we're kind of talking about. I just really want to honor all of our listeners who might have gone through postpartum depression, who suddenly found themselves very alienated from their child or even who had um, trouble breastfeeding and were going through that, uh, that, that dynamic of, do I bottle feed? Do I keep trying to breastfeed? Oh my God, is my kid getting enough nourishment? I really wanted to mention that because all of these and many more are factors in how we bond with our children. And so loving presence is you know, defined as being open-hearted and well-intentioned, where we're able to really bring compassion to ourselves. And boy, does that sound good. And that's why I come right back to your favorite word as well, which is this is a practice. So we want to put in practice self-compassion, which we're often not taught from our parents, most of us. Um, We need to figure out what that looks like for us, feels like for us, put it in practice, really giving ourselves permission to be imperfect. And so loving presence, this state that we're trying to get to, it is where we are open to making mistakes. We're open to feedback. We're open to loving. We're open to being loved back in return. And then by practicing this loving presence with our kiddos and our partners and our families and our communities, we are I believe, changing the world one person at a time, one little human at a time. I think it all comes back to self-compassion. I just keep coming back to that, Mm -hmm. right? Without that, it's kind of difficult to have a loving presence. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. If you can't really direct that compassion in your own direction, it's pretty hard to direct it elsewhere. We talked a little bit about being reactive or being triggered as a parent and a little bit about resourcing. And I'm wondering if there's a way, you know, even a strategy, a practice, a tool, you know, what, what might, you know, once I notice that I'm in that reactive place, my voice is pretty loud, right? I'm, I'm, my heart is beating pretty fast. What's something I can do in the moment that might be able to help me with that, like, big reactivity that's arising in me? That's right. So I think that this is one of the most, one of the most difficult practices to, um, 
put into place again without the self-compassion. So here's how, here's how that comes in. Whether we're talking about a couple or we're talking about a child and their parent, that reactivity starts to build in us. And, and if we're paying attention, if we've been practicing even just a little bit, practicing noticing our sense of reactivity, then even mid yelling, we can pull back by taking in a full breath. So taking in that, that breath and stopping, even if it's mid sentence. And this is something that I know I had to practice. I could do it right after I was done with my little tirade. And then it got to where I could do it kind of mid tirade, literally stopping, looking at my daughter or looking at the person I was in conflict with, taking in the deep breath and stopping my mouth. And then something amazing started to happen. As I had it rise up, it being this resistance, this this um, reactivity, this oh, no, no, no feeling, I was able to stop before I started. Take a breath, model a time out with my child. Actually say, mommy needs a moment. Take a breath and say, mommy just needs a moment. Give me just a moment, right? I will be right back. I am not leaving you. I'm taking a breath and then I'm going to figure out what I need to say and how I can respond to you. Now that's clunky, right? But what we do is we just keep practicing that until it becomes a part of our system. And that's really what we're wanting to do. Reactivity is going to happen. We're not going to stop reactivity. You might be able to quiet it down a little bit in some arena or another arena or maybe several arenas, but something will happen between you and your child, dear listeners, that will bring you to a boiling point. And when that happens, we want to be able to fall back on the practice we've been putting in place. Stop. It's kind of like stop, drop, and roll, right? From the old, what is that, 1940s or 1950s um Fire safety. Exactly. Fire safety and war season of the 20s and the 30s. Yes, we're going through a history now. Stop, drop, and roll. Stop, drop into a sitting position if you need to. Drop into yourself, into your psyche, into your soul. And then just roll with your breath. Play around with coming back. You know, sometimes it takes about 20, right? Neuroscientists will say it takes about 20 minutes for the cortex to come back online. So I want you to remember, right, everyone who's listening, that when we are that hijacked, we're actually not in control. It's our, it's other parts of our brain, the amygdala, the brainstem, that are much older parts that are just all about fight, flight, freeze, stay, fawn, all of the above. So we literally have to give ourselves time to come back. And we want to do that. And we want to teach our children to do that. The slowing things down, when things are happening so quickly, the reactivity comes so fast. Yes. You Sometimes the expression of that reactivity comes so fast. And the idea that you can just pause, right? Like n- yeah. nothing's going to happen if you just sort of stop talking and just That's take right. a breath. Just, That's right. Just stop I mean, talking. oftentimes yeah. the talking is like pouring fuel on the fire anyway. You yes, know? it is. And we can get very good at that, right? We can be very skillful with our tongues around mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But words matter to our children. They matter to people, period. But since we're talking about parenting, they matter and they stay with that child. 
So we have to be vigilant and loving. When we're thinking about these, the somatic hakomi itself and other somatic therapies, you know, I'm thinking about the ways in which mental health is not as accessible to every person. And, um, and a lot of Black, Indigenous, people of color have a harder time accessing mental health treatment, um, support, counseling. And I'm wondering how you feel like um, therapies like this, somatic therapies in particular, can be particularly helpful for people who've historically been marginalized. Well, and this is why this needs to be so much more accessible than it is, because in feeling into disparities in terms of health, and in particular mental health, I'm greatly concerned uh, about how the access has historically been so diminished. I'm also heartened by the fact, at least in California, we are working on creating steps to make that much less of a disparity, but we're still baby steps. So unfortunately, when someone uh, is searching for a somatic therapist, you may or may not see someone listed on an insurance that specifically says that. But I, again, am heartened by the fact that, that this is happening more and more. And the reason why I think that this is so important, this particular modality and way of doing psychotherapy, is that it honors and centers the person in front of the therapist, if done well. It allows that person to connect again, once again, to their intuitive, indigenous, and body wisdom that has been colonized out of us. And so it is particularly important and helpful to reconnect with that. Really, it's, it's a, it's a p- sense of power um, when, we, when we are connected in somatically. And so there's something very poignant about this. I know for me, having had, you know, uh, been in schools with psychotherapy, having you know, done my graduate work, it was when I had a teacher who came in uh, and taught actually a couple of them, Shirley Bardevere, Rob Fisher, um, who taught at John F. Kennedy University in California. When they came in and talked about the principles of Hakomi, the unity principle, which just basically means that we, it's more than this, but that we are all in this together in terms of working towards being the best humans we can be, that we honor that principle. Organicity, that I as a client actually know something about myself that you, the clinician, may not know, and that you, the clinician, are supporting my unfolding organicity. Nonviolence, my favorite one. Yes, we think about Gandhi, we think about Martin Luther King, but it's also nonviolence to ourselves. And that is the piece I want to link back to why we're even talking about all of this, is that, again, that sense of honoring our footsteps that have taken us to this part in our lives, meeting our children, right, growing with our children, that all takes compassion and personal nonviolence to ourselves. And so for our BIPOC listeners, I just want to say as BIPOC myself, we're working to make this more accessible. We want you to experience this and stay tuned.
I um, want to know um, if there's, you know, any misconceptions that you think that people hold about somatic therapy and it's like very woo, right? I was just <laughs> going to say, I had a feeling you were going to say woo. Yeah, that's so California. What is it? Uh, Marin County hot tubs and peacock feathers, right? <laughs> so let me just tell you folks, <laughs> um, you know, this is based in, this is based in neuroscience and, and, and I, I think we often you know, attribute this to being, as you said, sort of woo woo. But if you, you know, read or listen to any of the, the current neuroscientists that, you know, Dan Siegel and uh, so many uh, that are out there and accessible, we know that I think it's 80%. And let me just say, feel free to look this up. But I think it's 80% of our neurotransmitters, the, those building blocks to, you know, it, it's serotonin, it's all of those chemicals that contribute to our state are actually located in our gut. This is a, a brand new piece, I think, in the last 10 years that we've been talking about. And so again, the mind-body connection is real, it's here, it's present, and for centuries they've been separated. Well, we're not doing that anymore. And so that would be one of the myths I would like to clear up that Hakomi therapy and other client-centered therapies and other somatic and body-based therapies, psychotherapies are really treating the whole person and therefore we can feel into our own wholeness and then bring that to our parenting. And that feels priceless to me. Yes. And as you say that, I think, I also think to myself, similarly to what you said about self-compassion, mm -hmm. this idea that knowing yourself as a whole person mm -hmm. also helps you see your child as a whole person, right? Love that. Like yes. the more you know about your own internal workings, you realize, oh, wow, like everyone's got these internal workings, right? That's right. That's exactly <laughs> even right. My child, right. Even my child, exactly. <laughs> yes. And even me, right? Yes. Yeah, so good. So yeah. good. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. My I've been wanting pleasure. to have this conversation with you for a long time. Yes, you have. And I'm hoping that we're going to do more. That would yes. be wonderful. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. You can find out more about Karen Daly by heading to the link in the show notes. You can learn more about my work with parents at www.brooklynparenttherapy.com and on Instagram at BKParents. That's B-K-P-A-R-E-N-T-S. If you have more questions about mindfulness, somatic therapies, or any other parenting questions or stories, leave me a message at 646-926-3243. And be sure to let me know if it's okay to use your voice on the show. Or send an email to parenthood at quickanddirtytips.com. And don't forget to subscribe to Project Parenthood on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Catch you next week. Project Parenthood is a quick and dirty tips podcast. It's audio engineered by Dan Firebend with script editing by Adam Cecil. Our podcasting and advertising operations specialist is Morgan Christensen. Our assistant manager is Emily Miller. Our marketing and publicity assistant is Davina Tomlin. And our intern is Brendan Pika. That's all for this episode. Catch you next week. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, 
beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain or that you won't get a sunburn or that your family won't endearingly call you lobster mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. 